Hey everyone, and welcome back to another week of the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, we are continuing our series called Practicing the Way of Jesus as we look at one of the most overlooked commandments in all of Scripture, which is to develop and submit ourselves to a rhythm of resting every week. That's right, this week is all about Sabbath. And as we live in an overworked, overcommitted, never-stopping culture, there are few things more relevant than this idea. Join along as we dive into the Scriptures and see what God has to say about the idea of rest. We hope you enjoy this message. We've been in a series called Practicing the Way of Jesus and really trying to grapple with this idea that if Jesus offers the best life possible, what would it actually look like to begin to experience that life? And it would mean adopting his lifestyle. Well, what was his lifestyle? We've been uh, every week looking at individual practices from the master Jesus as we follow him, as his apprentices, as his disciples, and trying to make them our practices, which is honestly really, really tough. But we believe they lead to the best life possible. Um, so I want to start off tonight just uh, by saying, uh, by sharing with you guys one of my biggest pet peeves. I think this is probably some of y'all's pet peeve as well. Um, but one of my pet peeves is if, if I am riding in a car or something like that with someone and they're in charge of the music, like I know the aux cord is not really a thing anymore, but because most people have Bluetooth, my truck still is rocking like a cassette player, man. Like my truck's old school. Thank you. Like I've got the, my truck has the FM, FM uh, transmitter where you, you plug it into the cigarette lighter, you tune to a radio station, your phone somehow picks up that radio station and that's how you play music. It's old school, man. But one of my biggest pet peeves is when you're riding with someone who's controlling the music and the song is playing and everyone's enjoying it and right towards the end of the song, for whatever reason, they feel the need to just go ahead and skip to the next song. You know what I'm saying? I hate that. It drives me nuts. And some of you in here are like, oh, that's totally me. And others of you in here are like, yeah, that's totally you. And dude, it drives me nuts. Um, and for whatever reason, for whatever reason, when it gets to that song, that song will play for a while. And towards the end, they're like, oh, let me just go ahead and skip to the next song. It's like they get so excited, especially people who are like, hey, have you heard this band before? And they'll play you like 90% of one of their songs and be like, what do you think? Let me go ahead and get to the next one. Like, as, as if that's going to help you gain momentum in liking the band. It actually hurts the momentum. It's like, dude, I, now I'm not even interested because I have no clue how this song was going to resolve itself. It drives me nuts. It's like a splinter in my mind, right? And so I thought maybe tonight we could demonstrate this. And I thought, is there a song that the entire room would know? The ludicrous part? <laughs> Luda. <laughs> Bishop Luda has a word for us tonight. I thought, is there a song that all of us would know? And I know there's some popular ones, top 40s or whatever. Uh, but I thought, man, surely pretty much everyone in the room would probably know our national anthem, right? And yet, look, this isn't a ploy of like patriotism. Like this is not a ploy. I'm just trying to find the most common song I could without it being like ABCs or birthday. Like those were the options. I was like, I don't know, man. Levi, maybe the Canadian anthem. Who knows, bro? We might get it rolling. Yeah. But here's the deal. We're not going to do it all. That would, take, that would take way, way too long. We're going to start towards the end. But here's the assignment. This only works if you do it with me. And guys, like full confession, I have no singing voice. The good Lord did not see fit to, to give me that. Yeah, singing voice is not, a, I can't hold a tune. I can't sing. But I, so I need the full room. I need your all's participation. All right. Yeah. Are you missing this illustration? Yes, we, we the room is about to sing. We're going to start towards the end. Uh, we're going to start at the rocket's red glare, like the final thing. And the rocket's red glare. All right. So that's where we're starting. It only works. It only works if everyone's on board. And I know you guys are like, it's too cool. Okay, but it only works with you guys. But here's the deal. As we sing it, we need to give it our all. We need to sing from our stomachs. I think that's, I think that's what people say. Uh-huh. And here's the other assignment. You are not allowed... You are not allowed to actually sing the word brave. All right, you're not allowed to sing the word brave. 
So we're cutting off right before that, all right? No one sing the word brave, otherwise this illustration is out the window. I'm a little skeptical because I'm not sure you guys are understanding. All right, here we go. Are you ready? Maybe Nathan, I could use some help, man. All right, here we go. Uh, the rocket's red glare. That's where we're starting. Ready? Three, two, one. And the rocket's red glare. The Had you, guys, had you guys obey the directions like you're supposed to, no one would have sung brave at the end there, and we would have been left with an unresolved melody in our heads. We would have been left with an unresolved tune, an unresolved lyric that you know should have come out, that you know should have been delivered, but now it's cut off entirely. And for some of you, like legitimately for some of you, it, it's like eating away at you right now to have, it was already a pretty terrible orchestra, like let's be honest, but it's eating away at you to not have had that song finished. That feeling, that feeling of something building up and knowing that there should be closure, knowing there should be resolve, knowing there should be some sense of harmony, not necessarily in tone of voice, but like peace within life. That feeling of sensing an incompletion is actually pretty descriptive of our current state of life. Like in the biblical narrative, if you read the Bible, if you read the story of the Bible, you and I are not living in the reality that God originally intended us to live in. We are far from it. In fact, we are living in a brokenness from the original plan. And there is something in your soul, deep, deep down in your soul, that senses that. And Maybe most days you ignore it or you don't even think it's there, but sometimes in life you just have these crystal clear moments. It could happen like really late at night, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., whatever. You just have this sober mind, this crystal mind, crystal clear mind, and all of a sudden you realize something in life is not right. Like the melody isn't finishing. The note didn't resolve. Like there's something lingering about life and it begins to eat away at you. And if you read the scripture, the, the story of our faith, is that God has created everything to be in harmony with one another, including him, and that harmony was broken. And the state of our lives is this unfinished, unresolved note, tune, harmony, lyric that is not being completed here currently. And we sense that. It's a longing in our soul. And we try to fill that longing with all sorts of things, with all sorts of desires. And in our country, in our nation, we've got a few things that seem pretty descriptive of American culture. Again, please don't misinterpret the fact that I chose the national anthem as like some push for patriotism. All right? Like, I'm so thankful for our country. I thank God for the freedoms we have. But, like, I'm not blind to a lot of the, the things about our country and culture that are absolutely broken. And some of those, like if I were to name some of the idols, some of the gods of our culture, it would be accomplishment. Like, let's get stuff done. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's accomplish things. Let's build ourselves up. It would be acceleration. Let's do more. Let's do it better. Let's go faster. You okay? And it would be acquiring. Let's get more. Let's have more. Consumerism is rampant. Like, those are the things that, that define the American culture. And we've kind of woven those into normal parts of life. Even those of us who claim Jesus still have those as a part of our life. And I just got to tell you, the typical American approach to life is at odds very much with the kingdom and the gospel of Jesus. And so we have these things that we try to fill this, this unresolved note with. 
And we try to do more and be more and have more and acquire more. And look, marketing companies know this. I mean, I don't know if you know, but they don't have your best interests in mind. (laughs) Like they have the dollar in mind when they're trying to make a profit. And all marketing is like geared towards selling you something and convincing you that you need it. And at a certain point, and not too long ago history, our uh, country moved from Uh, basically buying things that we need to marketing companies begin to capitalize on how can we convince them to buy things they don't need? And that became the normal. Like there is something in our soul that realizes we're not right. Life's not right. Something's not right. And so our typical approaches to filling that hole are to accomplish more, acquire more, or accelerate in life. Go faster. Do it better. And we celebrate those things. Those are the idols of our country. Now, some of you internally maybe are even like, like, yeah, dude, yeah, sounds good, right? But here's the deal. If those things would have worked, I think they would have worked by now. Like, if you study our um, history and the progression of culture in our country, specifically our country, and you study generationally the evolution of what's going on, you'll see a pretty bleak picture pretty quickly. So, for instance, we are the most connected generation ever. Like, you guys have the world at your fingertips. It's amazing. You can literally pick up this and be connected to almost anywhere in the globe and anything, any, any amount of information or, or whatever you want to find instantly. We're the most connected generation, not just to information, but to people, the access to people. And yet, for all that connectivity, we are, without a doubt, statistically fact the loneliest generation ever. We're the wealthiest generation. And if you look at a, you know, a chart of like the world's economy, it's fair to say most everyone in this room uh, is part of the wealthiest demographic in the planet comparatively to the rest of the world. And yet for all that wealth, we remain largely unsatisfied and unhappy, convinced that if we just get the next thing, that will make us happy. You guys with me? I know I'm blessing you on a Sunday night here. You guys are like, dang, dude. We have immense amounts of activity in our culture and in our country. I mean, from a young age, like, families will take entire summers and they'll be like MIA, they'll be absent. It's like, dude, where have you been? I haven't seen you in two months. Oh, my five-year-old, my five-year-old had a traveling baseball team. We, we, we had to go across the country. You're five-year-old? Like, dude, that's, that's a lot of pressure on a five-year-old. <laughs> Thank you, Tommy. <laughs> and for all this activity that is supposed to be enhancing our lives, for all these wonderful options we have, without a doubt, statistically fact, this is the most anxious generation and the most medicated generation ever in the history of our country. So to kind of put your flag in the American culture that that is a proponent of accelerate, acquire, accomplish, you also have to kind of look in the face, hey, for all of these things that seem good at face value, for all of the wealth that can be acquired through that lifestyle, for all of the activity that comes with that lifestyle, through all the connectivity that is peripheral to this lifestyle, there is still immense amounts of loneliness, anxiety, unease, disruption of peace, dissatisfaction, confusion, hollowness. And there's something in your soul that occasionally tunes into this and realizes this isn't how it was supposed to be. We have an unfinished tune, an unresolved harmony. Because we live, the status of humanity is in a broken state. Now, we believe Jesus is restoring that, and the story of the Bible is beautiful as we look ahead to what Jesus is currently doing and will do. But the fact remains, our reality is a state of brokenness, and we try to fill it with all sorts of things, leading to immense anxiety, immense loneliness, immense dissatisfaction with life. We mask it pretty well, but it's true. All of these approaches. And so the question on the table, as it is every week, is, does Jesus model a practice for us that would speak directly to these things we're talking about? Does Jesus model a practice 
that would actually restore and rescue, rehabilitate, heal these things that seem so rampant in our culture. And I would say, yeah, he offers many practices. We've talked about a lot of them. And one of them I want to talk about tonight is the idea of Sabbath. Now, if you've grown up in the church at all, you've probably heard this word. If you haven't grown up in the church, let me just make it super simple for you. Sabbath means stop. Like that's what the word at its core means. It means to cease, to cease from doing, to stop. Sabbath means stop. Now, my journey with Sabbath has been pretty interesting. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up with Jesus. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So for me, Sabbath, uh, the journey for Sabbathing or stopping or the idea of resting as a rhythm of life uh, first started very legalistically for me. I, I did it because the Bible said to do it, and I did it, and that was it. And then later it kind of became more experimental, like I'm trying to figure this out. I'm not quite sure how this works. And then if I'm really honest, I kind of just abandoned it altogether. Because in the pride of my youth, I just thought, well, I'm indestructible. I don't need rest. I can just keep plowing through. And around the age of 30 and a few hospital visits due to extreme exhaustion and like my body literally stopping, uh, stopping working, stop being working, uh, is some wake up calls. Like, okay, I'm no longer invincible. I guess I never was really. But um, so my journey with Sabbath is now like I fully believe I need it. And I'm trying to learn how to do it better. Uh, and if I'm really, really honest, it's only been in the past two years of my life that I've really begun to incorporate this, not out of legalism, but with joy, and not out of experimentation, but out of necessity. I know that there is something to this practice modeled by Jesus that restores our souls and helps us taste how we were actually created to be in harmony with God. So, Let's look at a few examples of Sabbath in the Bible. We're going to kind of get an overview tonight, and I, I want to start in the book of Genesis. That's where you first see this idea of Sabbath or stopping, and so we're just going to read a couple verses here. This is Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1. God has just created everything. The six days of creation are finished, and now it's the seventh day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let me just throw this back out to you one more time. God rested. And there's tons of excuses to kind of push against this and kind of explain, oh, well, like, I mean, no one in here, but... Um, like one of the things with people my age in my circles that you'll hear a lot is like, dude, we have little kids, man, like little kids. You don't even know. It's like, no, I do know. But as hard as parenting is, God rested. Okay, bro, but like, dude, I'm running a company. I'm CEO. I'm like, I'm, I have a lot of responsibility. I've got a lot of employees. That are count- Great. CEO, nothing. God, creator of the universe and the cosmos and the stars and everything we know, rested. Like, let it sink in a minute that the all-powerful one, the creator of everything, the book of Psalms says he breathed the stars out of his nostrils. Like, I don't know if you've seen how big the sun is in comparison to the earth, but that came out of God's nose, right? Like, that God stopped, stopped doing, and rested. And the amazing thing is, he's God. He's all-powerful. Why would he stop? Because he's exhausted? Because he's tired? No, he's God. He stopped, not out of exhaustion, but satisfaction. He looked at the six days, and it is good, and now I'm resting because I'm satisfied. Little clue here, that's a model meant for us. To look at our weeks with satisfaction. Most of us live from one thing to the next in such a hurry and such a rush, we're not even looking back at the week to see, like, was that even good? We're just going to the next thing. And God models something beautiful for us in stopping and resting. The amazing thing about these verses that we just read is that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. A couple of interesting things here going on. First of all, this is the first time in Scripture that you see the word holy. Holy means set apart or distinctly different. 
There's something unique about it. He created everything in six days, and not one of those things was declared holy. Even God himself, who we know is holy, was not described as holy first. The first thing described as holy in the entire Bible is the Sabbath, or the day of stopping. There's something there, if you have the eyes to see it. The other interesting thing is God blessed the Sabbath. Now, what's interesting about this is if you read the creation account, God blesses three things in the book of Genesis. The first thing he blesses are animals. And the blessing is the ability to create life, be fruitful and multiply. He also blesses people. The blessing is the ability to create life, be fruitful and multiply. The third thing he blesses is a day. And that may seem really, really strange to you, like God blessed animals, people, and a day. The first two have the blessing of creating life. The third, don't miss this, the day is blessed with the ability, same as the others, to give life. The discipline of learning how to stop, the discipline of learning how to rest, to partner with what God modeled and is doing, to actually, to actually submit yourself in trust and step into stopping, which is so contrary to the American lifestyle of accomplish, accelerate, and acquire. Stopping means you look at the idols of our country and culture and you literally stand on the throat of those things and do not buy into the fact that they offer life, because they don't. God blesses three things with the ability to give life in creation. Animals, people, and a day. Now, it is not lost on me that probably every single person in this room has never actually practiced the Sabbath before. Like, I'm not unaware that a room full of high school students has not actually began a rhythm or cultivated a practice of Sabbath. In fact, if I were teaching to a room of adults, it would be the same. Hey guys, you mind hanging with me? You guys are being super distracting. You mind hanging with me, please? Thank you. If I were talking to a room of adults, it would be the same thing. Because in our country, the things that are put forward that deceive us, that actually offer life, are accelerate, acquire, and accomplish. Adults don't practice Sabbath. This is a lost practice. But God blesses a day to give life. And if your soul is tired tonight, and if you're in this room and you experience loneliness and brokenness and anxiety and the overwhelming pressure of every single thing you have to figure out between now and next Sunday, I would like to offer to you Jesus modeled a practice that actually helps you stop and find life simply by not doing. And I know every knee-jerk reaction in you is like, no, dude, like you can't, you can't just not do. You can't just stop. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Let me put it out to you again. God stopped and rested. Our culture will convince you that you can't. There's too much to do. There's one thing. There's, there's something else. That's the accelerate mindset. How are you ever going to get ahead? That's the accomplished mindset. Stopping as a regular practice of life gives rest. This isn't just for people. It's for all of creation. There's tons of things in the Bible about how God meant for the earth to be used, including animals, soil, vegetation, all of it. There, there are things that are designed to have rhythms of stopping. Sabbath is woven into the creation fabric. All right, let's look at something else uh, real quick. Well, actually, let me, let me hone in on something here, by the way. This is day seven. Uh, when, when were Adam and Eve created, by the way? Day six, right before this. I, I don't want you to miss this. Adam and Eve are created on day six, and then immediately what does God do? Creates a day of stopping and resting. The idea of Sabbath is celebration. If, you, if we were to look in like the Hebrew language of this word, the, the idea is more of like a party. Like, like, like God is the designer of the weekend. You know what I mean? Like this is the day. He creates men and women, and the first thing that God invites them into is not accelerate, accomplish, acquire. The first thing God allows and invites them into is to rest and be 
with God. If you have ever had the tempting thoughts creep into your mind that you have to do more, be more, say the right things, do the right things, clean yourself up before God will allow you into his presence, you are missing the gospel entirely. And the notion of the gospel that Jesus allows us into his presence in our very state right now, that we don't have to do a thing to earn it, we haven't worked, we haven't earned, we haven't done anything except be, is seen right here on page two of the Bible where God creates men and women and then says, just be with me. This is gospel. And it's all around this idea of Sabbath, of rest. All right, let's look at the next example. Biblical overview. We're moving quick, I know. Exodus chapter 20. You may be familiar with the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20. I was talking to a woman one time, and I asked her, I said, hey, if you were to die tonight, where do you... (laughs) (laughs) If you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd go? She's like, yeah, I'd go to heaven. And I was like, interesting, why? She's like, oh, because I obey all Ten Commandments. And I was like, fascinating, the first person ever to obey them. I was like, really? She's like, yeah, I I, I obey all the Ten Commandments. And I I tried to like talk to her about like grace, gospel, like actually no one can. That's why we need Jesus. She's like, she got really offended. She's like, no, I have. I was like, wow. Okay, cool. Never told a lie. Awesome. Good for you, man. The Ten Commandments you're probably familiar with. This is out of Exodus chapter 20. I just want to hone in on number four here. Number four is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, I don't want it to get lost on you. This is really, really interesting. That of all the practices we've talked about in this series, silence and solitude, prayer, uh, fasting, I want to talk about Bible reading Um, Out of all those things, not one of them is actually commanded by God. The one practice that's a command is to have a day where you stop. If we're really, really honest, we look at this list and we see nine commandments and one suggestion. Like all, everybody in the room would be like, dude, don't murder. That's probably a good one. We should probably obey that one. Don't commit adultery, yeah. Steal, cool. Lie about your neighbor, Uh, I get that. Don't covet, well, we struggle with that one too. But of the 10, we would kind of say there's probably nine commands. Number four, uh, have a day where you stop? No. Like, nobody does this, am I right? Our country, our culture, looks at number four recently. Actually, back in the 30s and 40s, we used to have laws in this country called blue laws. And they were actually legislated laws by our government that would shut everything down on Sunday. It was amazing. And then everyone was like, yeah, dude, this sucks, so let's not do that. And now we all struggle with anxiety all the time. Go figure. And so, number four, remember, it's almost like God knew that of of all those ten, this would be the one we'd forget. Like, oh, don't work. (laughs) No, I'm invincible. No, no, no. Remember the day of stopping and keep it holy. Like, keep it set apart. If I were to go out tonight, and let's just say I uh, broke number six. Let's just say I go out and kill someone tonight. (laughs) The man went there, deep end. Let's just say I broke number six. Do you think I'd be fired tomorrow? Who said no? Yes, I'd be fired. Matt, just a slap on the wrist. You know, try not. Try not to do it. I'd be in prison. I'd be fired. Mia, was that you? Oh, if, if they found that, if you were able to hide it, no one would know. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was on me. If they found out, would I be fired? Yeah. If I were to go out tomorrow, if I were to go out tomorrow and break number seven, I'd be fired. And my whole... hundred percent I would. A hundred percent I would. And my entire family, I'm concerned at how light you're taking number seven. A hundred percent I would. And my entire family would be devastated and the damage, the damage that would come through that. If I were to go out and do a few of these, I'd be fired absolutely. But the, the interesting thing is, if I were to go out and break number four, if I were to actually work more, put in more hours, do more, accomplish more, ac- accelerate more, I'd probably get a pat on the back from most people. Like, oh, dude, way to go, man. We do not view this as a command. 
for our benefit. We don't view this as sinning when we don't stop and partner with what God is doing and invites us into his rest. I was in a meeting one time of like high executives. I was in this meeting and this gentleman had retired recently um, and they were talking about him in the room and everyone was saying so many good things about him. And one of the things that got brought up about this gentleman is, man, this guy was unbelievable. Do you know in his decades Working at this organization, he never once, never once took a day off. Decades, never took a day off. The whole room burst into, wow, wow, the whole room. Everybody, everybody except me. And I sat there and I thought to myself, is this worthy of applause? Like, is this worthy of honoring? I couldn't help but think, like, I wonder if his wife would be applauding right now. I wonder if his kids would be applauding right now. The value system, you have to see the value system of our culture. Applauds, accomplishment, acceleration, acquiring. Things that are opposite of the kingdom of God. And we buy in as if they're actually going to fill this hole and resolve the broken melody. And all the while, God is saying, hey, there's actually this thing. I've been talking about it since page two. And if you will trust me and submit to it, it will restore your soul. But it might mean the culture you're in won't applaud you upon retirement because you took a few rest days. All right, let's jump over real quick. Deuteronomy chapter five. Deuteronomy, Old Testament. Uh, Deuteronomy has a list of 10 commandments. I don't know if you know this or not. Deuteronomy... Chapter 5 repeats the Ten Commandments. So here's what's going on real quick. Uh, In the book of Exodus, the Hebrew people are enslaved in Egypt. Pharaoh is a cruel, cruel man. The culture of Egypt was, guess what? Accomplish more, acquire more, accelerate life. Those were the tenets of Egypt. In fact, they had entire cities devoted to storing the excess Like, hey, we need more bricks made. Why are we about to build something? No, we just need more. Just in case one day we feel like building a new pyramid. Hey, we need more wheat stored. Why are are, are people hungry? No, we just want to make sure we have more. Like they had entire store cities devoted to storage of things that they didn't need. And if you're thinking like, oh, dude, come on, that's not America. Guys, do you? (laughs) Oh, man. I need to wrap this sermon up, but let me just say this. If you were to do the ratio of population in our country to square footage of storage facilities in our country, every single person, every single person in our entire country could have about eight square feet specifically devoted to them. And yet homelessness runs rampant. Our culture applauds, and is a proponent for, acquire more, have more, accomplish more, store up more. Do you need it? No, but it'll make you feel good. Did it make you feel good for a minute, and now it collects dust? Egypt was the same way. And so the Hebrews coming out of Egypt were coming out of slavery 40 years later, all right? Stick with me. 40 years later, a new generation is being reminded of the Ten Commandments. That's what we're reading here. So, book of Exodus, Ten Commandments for mom and dad. Book of Deuteronomy, Ten Commandments for kids. This is the next generation. And the Ten Commandments are repeated pretty much the same except the Sabbath command. And if you remember, in the book of Exodus, it read, remember the Sabbath. And now it reads, observe it. Observe it like you would observe a holiday. Celebrate it. Observe it like you would observe a law. Speed limit. Well, maybe not that one. But observe it like you would observe most things. To keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you, six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Next slide, please. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip this real quick. Next slide, please. Verse 15. You shall remember, this is so interesting, you shall remember that you were a slave... Were they slaves? No. These are the kids. 
Mom and dad were the slaves. But the author of Deuteronomy is, is calling into their mind like what you came from, your heritage was slavery in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. We don't have a ton of time. I wish I had a whole hour devoted to this, but I just want you to know that in the Bible, um, nations like Egypt or Babylon or whatever are like figurative representative archetypes used all throughout the scriptures. So like in the book of Revelation, when you read about Babylon, well, it's not necessarily talking about Babylon, which is modern day Iraq. It's not necessarily talking about that. It's talking about a nation whose tenets are get more, do more, accomplish more, be more at the cost of injustice and unfair labor. Hello. That is Babylon. We should be questioning a lot of like how we think about, uh, I just don't have the time, but where do we buy our clothes from? And, and, and are, are we actually conscious of labor laws in this world? I don't have time. Okay, but anyway. Um, but the interesting thing about Deuteronomy is what they're being called to remember is the slavery in Egypt. And the Lord brought you out there with an outstretched arm. And what is linked to this idea? Sabbath. Observe the Sabbath because you used to be slaves. That's basically what Deuteronomy is saying, which is so interesting because as slaves, you never got a day of rest. What the author is saying is be cautious that you do not adopt the tenets of Egypt, which are all about accomplish more, acquire more, accelerate. If you do, you will be enslaved, not to Pharaoh, but to a lifestyle. Sabbath is the thing that will actually bring you freedom from slavery to that lifestyle. If you're in the room and you've bought into the American idea of life and you find yourself lonely and anxious and tired and weary and confused and you don't know what your purpose is and you don't know what life is about and you are struggling and you don't seem to have clarity on intimacy with God, might I suggest that you need to stop and observe the Sabbath so that you don't slip into slavery, into a lifestyle that offers no hope and no rest. Like the Bible is screaming at us about this idea of stopping. It's not just stopping because work is hard. No, we're actually, like work is a good thing. It's not just like, oh man, your mom and dad were slaves in Egypt. Like, no, the lifestyle of of Egypt is what the slavery is. Don't fall back into it. How do we avoid that? By stopping. All right, one more. Book of Matthew. We haven't looked at what Jesus says about it yet. Let's look at Jesus. Jesus teaches this. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's interesting about Jesus' teaching is we read that and we think that somehow through autopilot, through faith in Jesus, all of a sudden our life will get easier. Like he said, come to him and he'll, he has a light load. There are things that Jesus lightens, but there's also things that require a discipline on our end, and one of those is the practice of rest. So, Jenny Ann, where's my girl Jenny Ann at? Jenny Ann, come on up. Yeah, we were joking around today. She's like, oh, I could come up and teach, and I was like, ha But, all right, come on up. Hey, it's just an illustration. You're not teaching. Guys, give it up for Jenny Ann. Okay. Jenny Ann, I have a backpack here. This is actually my backpack. Can you put it on my Yeah, 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 from high school. I found it at my mom's house the other day. All right, this is my backpack from high school. Are you ready? Okay. Now, Ginny Ann, how much? <laughs> Are you okay? She said I weigh 98 pounds. I don't think you're supposed to tell me that. Um, Ginny Ann, how much would you say that backpack weighs? Would you be able to like walk down the stairs and step back up? No. Are you sure? Try it. Let's, we, we believe in you, Ginny Ann. All right. Guys, get, you got it, Jenny Ann. Hold the rail if you need. All right, guys, give it up. No, no, no. The, yeah, step up, step up this way. Guys, give it up for Jenny Ann. 
All right, do you think you could step up with the load? Yeah, 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 up here. Just try. You did it like five seconds ago. Just don't fall off. I'd feel really bad. No, you got to step, man. I was about to catch you. You think you could or no? Okay, Jenny Ann, that's all right. Here, let's take the bag off. You can just set the bag. I hope you're, how much would you say this weighs for real? Let me, here, I'm going to drop it. Let's just hear the, the clank. Watch your feet. Oh my gosh. All right, how much? I think, I think it probably weighs like 60 pounds, it's, it's, which is two-thirds your weight. So, you know, all right, now, this is a different backpack. It is just as full as you can see, but I want you to put this on, okay? Okay, I was going to help, but you got it, sis. Strong, independent girl. Okay, now, could you step up? All right, let's try it. Yo, yo! Marcus is like, is like, yo, I got a feel. <laughs> yo, rugged man. Don't act like it's no big deal. You were shaking that whole, what's up with this, man? <laughs> All right, thanks, man. It's not that bad, bro. Ginny Ann, which one is lighter? Yeah. And it's, it's even fuller, right? And that's the whole point. Guys, give it up for Ginny Ann. Thanks so much for being my illustration. But that's... Ginny Ann had no idea. Ginny Ann had no idea she was going to help me tonight. And I really appreciate it. The whole point that Jesus is making is you are carrying around a load right now. And it is a load that, that culture has convinced you. This will be light. This will be life-giving for you. If you just get more and accomplish more and build a name up for yourself and go faster and don't take days off and don't worry about rest, you can rest when you're dead. Man, what a cliche. I, I hear that all the time. Or like in the church world, we say, well, like Satan never takes a day off, so we shouldn't either. And it's like, yeah, dude, but if you read Revelation, I'm pretty sure his methods actually end up in his death. Like, why would we as Christians follow the methodology of the enemy and nemesis of God, right? Like. Satan does it, so should we. Like, no, like God offers a different way. And yet our culture will tell you this heavy load is actually life-giving. Jesus comes along and get this, he teaches to the extreme in terms of what life is and what it's not. And some of the things he says, you're like, dude, that is lighter than that. And yet when you look at the life Jesus offers, it's fuller and somehow lighter. Somehow this is actually life-giving. And Jesus models many practices, but one specifically called the Sabbath, a day of stopping. I'm aware you've probably never tried this. I'm aware this is very countercultural. I'm aware most of you will walk out of this room tonight and be like, dude, that was a weird sermon. I get it. But Sabbathing or stopping is an act of trust. And if you will submit to the process, I promise it is life-giving, as I have discovered in just the past couple of years. So I want to end on this. Just a quick summary. What is Sabbath? Sabbath is five things. Sabbath is rest for your souls. If your soul is tired, if your heart is aching, if, you, if your mind is fatigued, if you have tried the ways of this world and bought into the ideologies of accomplish, accelerate, and acquire and have found yourself hollow, might I suggest your soul is tired. And creating a day regularly where you stop is life-giving. Sabbath is rest for your souls. Second, Sabbath is woven into the rhythm of creation itself. There is something in you that aches around this rhythm. Again, I don't have tons of time to go into, um, like throughout civilizations, how everyone has kind of been oriented around this seven-day rhythm. Uh, the one time it was tried to be changed was like in the 1700s 
by France. They tried to change a seven-day week to a 10-day week, and like depression skyrocketed, suicide skyrocketed, anxiety skyrocketed. Like we are built with a rhythm around seven days to work for six and rest for one. It is the rhythm of creation. Third, Sabbath is resisting cultural gravity. There is a gravitational pull that culture has, and it says, join us, do it like this. This is what life is. Be more, do more, accomplish, acquire, accelerate. Sabbathing is a a foot on the throat, an intentional rebellion against the idols of our culture. It is saying, I do not buy in to the life-giving ideas that our culture says, which are lies, but I will trust God that every week having a day where I pause and I stop and I intentionally rest will actually be life-giving. It is resisting. It is a rebellion, an all-out rebellion against cultural gravity. Fourth, Sabbath is meant for us to stop, that's what we've defined Sabbath as, but also to enjoy and worship God. It is meant for you to stop, but also enjoy the day. One of the biggest mistakes you can make around Sabbath is making it totally legalistic, like, I can't do anything, which is what, in the Old Testament, eventually happened. Like, they had rules for how many steps you could take, they had rules for how you could spit, like, they they got legalistic about, I know, you really? Yeah, like, dude, imagine brushing your teeth and be like, Sabbath, I can't spit the froth. They had rules for everything. It is not meant to be legalistic. It is meant for you to stop and enjoy life to the fullest and worship God. Fifth, Sabbath is meant to be healing for our brokenness. That unresolved note that aches in your soul will begin to find healing if you practice Sabbath. That is a bold statement, but I believe it. If you practice a regular rhythm of stopping every week, because it requires trust throughout the week, like I will be responsible and work hard so that I can rest, Sabbath becomes a weekly holiday. Like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you remember and you think back to how good it was. And Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you are looking forward to this thing coming up. It becomes the highlight of your week because it is designed for you to enjoy life. And so you may be asking, all right, dude, where would I start? How would I start? Here's what I would say. If you had 24 hours, if you, if you had 24 hours and you could design a day and do things that would bring you the most joy and lead to some spontaneous gratitude, what would the day look like? Whatever you fill in that blank like, that's how I would start. If I had 24 hours to design a day that brought me the most joy and would lead me into gratitude, like giving God thanks, what would it look like? I just want to let you know, coming out of last week's sermon where I talked about fasting, do not fast on the Sabbath. Sabbath is for feasting. Sabbath is for enjoying life. Cook with the butter. Don't get gluten-free, unless that's a medical thing. Like, like go all out. Enjoy food. Break bread. Feast. Have food fun, go on walks. Typically, the best Sabbaths are done doing things that don't require money, being with friends and family, getting outside, taking a moment to pause and feel the warmth of the sun after a rainy week, hearing the laughs of your children. You guys aren't there yet, but I am. Like, enjoying the company of the person you love the most, pausing and reflecting and journaling about something, or diving into a book that you love, or just taking a nap. The amazing thing about Jesus, God in the flesh, by the way, is this dude napped and napped often, okay? Like he was always asleep when the disciples were awake, and he was always awake when the disciples were asleep. He just had some weird rhythms, but he enjoyed a good nap. Sabbath is not meant to be hindering. It is meant to be life-giving. If you have ever, ever craved, man, I just wish, I wish I could just pause on all this pressure and all this decision-making. I wish I could just take a nap guilt-free. I wish I could eat whatever I wanted guilt-free. I wish I could just hang out with my friends. Most of you guys do that anyway, but I wish I could do it guilt-free. That is what Sabbath is all about. No pressure of schedule, no commitments to, oh, where do I got to be when, what's coming? It is a day to stop and enjoy and worship and um, taste life to the fullest degree. There's an old Jewish tradition where the father, every Sabbath, the father would wake the kids up with a spoonful of honey first thing in the morning to symbolize 
the first thing we taste on the Sabbath is the sweetness of how good it is. That is what Sabbath is meant to be. A weekly vacation where your soul finds rest and delights in God. Are you tired? Are you lonely? Are you anxious? Do you sense the brokenness of the ways you've tried to approach life? Might I offer, Jesus offers a way of restoring your soul. And it is a day of stopping. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the rhythms of life and the practices you offer. Uh, this is a countercultural practice, I'm very aware. Jesus, for this to actually sink in, for, for us to walk out of here tonight and actually apply what we heard would take a movement of the Spirit. And so that's what we pray for. Spirit, we pray that you would grab our hearts for those of us in the room that this is landing and we sense like, dude, the, the value system of our country is so jacked up. It offers life and leads to hollowness. I pray that just that question, that seed would get planted. Is the way of Jesus actually life-giving? And I have discovered it is. And one of the things, and it's come very hard for me, is practicing a regular rhythm of stopping every week and delighting in God and being with the things that matter most, being with the people that matter most, things that lead to spontaneous worship, things that lead to gratitude, things that just make you pause and soak in the moment. You have designed and modeled and invited us into, Father, this way of living, guilt-free. Would you help us resist the pull of culture and actively rebel by stopping and resting and finding life for our souls? Jesus, we need you. It was a long time before I was convinced this mattered. I pray that you would give us a supernatural ability to see the importance of Sabbath. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.